May the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, the one who calls us out, the one who knows us from the inside. Amen. So this is one of those passages that really pushes our image of Jesus. This is not Jesus the good shepherd holding the lamb that was depicted in the stained glass as I entered my home congregation growing up. This is not Jesus ascending into the clouds that you will find at the Lutheran Church of the Ascension in the city square of Savannah, Georgia, the second oldest and oldest standing Lutheran church in the country. This is not the picture of Jesus we get when we think of Jesus wrapped up in swaddling cloths, lying in the manger, or even the picture of Jesus we have when we know that his family flees to Egypt. This is an angry, rage-filled Jesus. This is a Jesus for whom righteous anger is on the forefront. It is a Jesus that really pushes what it means to be Christian for us. So often we get caught up in Christians are nice. It's important that Christians are kind. And we think of things like, oh, they will know we are Christians by our love. Or those other types of kind of schmaltzy songs, right? They make us think that Jesus is there to comfort, to protect, to keep safe, to love, to nurture, to to make us feel good. In fact, if I asked you guys, you would probably say, oh, pastor, I come to church because it makes me feel better. I like the comfort I get from singing the song. I like the comfort I get from hearing the word proclaimed. I like receiving the body and the blood and communion and the the knowledge that that forgiveness gives me. Worship is a place I find comfort. I enjoy my church family. They make me happy. And while all of those things are wonderful and lovely, and I am grateful for them, they are not what this passage is about. This passage is not about the Jesus who makes us comfortable. This passage is not about a church worship service that makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside. It is not about being happy, clappy Christians for the sake of our community that always are upbeat and positive and nothing can go wrong. This passage, in a way that other passages in our Gospels doesn't, really faces the fact that Jesus was against injustice. Jesus really didn't like this idea that we should just all get along. Because if he did, he probably walked in, looked around and said, ugh, these people, and just kept going, right? Tolerance would have been the word of the day, but that's not what Jesus does in this passage. Jesus is irate at best, and words I probably can't use at a pastor at worst, right? He is angry, but he's not angry because they stepped on his birthday. He's not angry because they were out of his favorite matzah at the local shop, and now he has to have second-rate matzah for Passover. He's angry because the very foundation of what he believes and knows that that place is meant to do is in question. 
In front of the temple, there was a market space where you could purchase things for your sacrifices. But over time, like shrewd business people that many religious folks are, the people there had come up with ways to make the system work for them, right? So instead of selling the items at cost or even at a reasonable market price, they marked them up little by little. And then when the markups got too much, they started to pull in these money changes because, you know, your money from Galilee isn't good here in Jerusalem. But do you think that they ever got a good exchange rate on their money? Hardly. They were, they were cheaters and, and, and kind of manipulators of the system. And so it became such that in Jesus' time, it was hard for those who had less to participate in religious life. I often wonder if this played into the slow, gradual downfall of the church in America. Did we get so caught up in our Sunday best, in our great presentations of what church ought to be, that we lost the ability to welcome the least among us? It became a place where people in jeans weren't welcome, and if your breath smelled a little bit too much like last night's party, you probably shouldn't be there instead of the place it was created to be. As a kid, I always heard this passage in Jesus' righteous anger used as a reason on why we shouldn't sell stuff in church. It was the cranky old guy's favorite quote against the women's church bazaar. It was the reason why the youth group couldn't sell anything except the occasional Steelers Super Bowl shirt, and mostly because we didn't ask, we begged forgiveness. But that's not what Jesus is mad about. What Jesus is mad about is, is these boundaries, these loopholes, these gotta jump through the steps that have been put in front of getting to his father, getting into the house of worship. This, this, roadblock of people. We do this sometimes as Christians still. We have cool jargon we use, like the name of that space out there where you're supposed to pick up your stuff today. Where else in the world do you go that has a narthex and actually calls it that? Nowhere. But if I started calling that a gathering space, all you churchy people would go, a what? Where else in the world do you go where there is a font? What is a font? I mean, this is a font, right? But we don't talk about these, these bowls and water and dishes, these special places, these holy words. Anywhere else in the world, the things you sit in are called benches. Even in my announcements, I occasionally jump through hoops to make sure people understand. Because if we don't do those things, we are exactly what Jesus is mad about. But it's more than that. It's about being truly and openly welcoming. It's about making space for all people. It's about creating an environment in a society that allows for the worship of God in all ways. It takes no time reading today's news and hearing about the people of Congregation Beth Israel and Fort Worth to know that we do not live in that place. It takes no time hearing the people of Pittsburgh talk about Tree Life Synagogue to know that we don't live in that place. 
It takes no time listening to those who mourn the loss of Emmanuel 9 to know that we don't live in that place. I believe that Jesus would still be angry with the church today. That he would still come in here and be pretty perturbed with a lot of us, both as a congregation and as a community of Christians at large, as a denomination and as a synod. Because we're called to love our neighbor. We're called to make space. We're told that whatever we do to the least among us, we do to Jesus. And we often get caught in thinking that we do enough when we are doing nothing. We often get caught up in thinking there is nothing that needs done. I don't need to understand or take racism training. I am a pastor in Reed City, Michigan. How many people of color am I really going to run into? Like five? And they're not treated poorly. We treat them like everybody else. Or we think, kind of. And then I remember that I grew up in a town not unlike Reed City as far as demographics go. It was bigger, but same percentage-wise. The, the high school I graduated from at the time of my graduation in 2001 had one multiracial kid. We didn't even have one whole kid of color. We had one multiracial kid. And about 15 trucks with Confederate flags on the back. So then... I went and lived in Orlando, Florida when I worked for the Walt Disney Company and I was housed with a woman of color from Houston. She was lovely. I knew nothing about her. I understood zero of her culture. And one day I walked in and she was curling her hair with a curling iron. Now, I had always admired African hair I always thought people of African descent had the most amazing hair because it looked like you could just wrap it around a pencil and it would stay like that and it was beautiful and it was amazing. And so when I went in and she was burning herself on the curling iron, I asked her, is that on? Mm -hmm. Is that on? Are you really curling your hair with a curling iron plugged in? Because in my white girl brain, your hair didn't need the curling iron plugged in. And I think Jesus stood in the corner of that room and went, Oh, Kara, buddy. What I had said was blatantly racist. But it came from a place of ignorance and unknown. And so even though I grew up in a town where that was not a thing, man, do I wish somebody would have taught me not to say stupid stuff like that. Man, do I wish that I hadn't had to make that woman explain to me, the dumb white girl, how her hair worked. Or let me touch it one more time because enough people, enough white people had already touched her hair one more time, just amazed by the texture of it. I think 
Those are the kinds of things that Jesus would want to throw tables over now. I think those are the types of things that we're called to fight against as a church. And while it is easy for us to say, all those things are political and all those don't belong in our arena, the truth is the temple's marketplace would have been like the mall of Washington, D.C. Jesus was, by his very presence, a political figure. And while I agree that we cannot be partisan in our politics in the church, I believe that we are called to speak up and speak out for the sake of our neighbor, so that nobody has to go into their place of worship and be scared that a terrorist might come in and harm them. So that nobody has to explain how their hair works to a random stranger. So that nobody has to worry that they're the only kid in class while there's at least 15 of their classmates whose parents support them enough to let them put Confederate flags on their vehicles in the parking lots. Because love is at the root of Jesus' anger. Welcoming people, creating a world where access is available to all, is at the root of what Jesus does in this passage. And Jesus can be angry at those folks because the end of the passage tells us, right? Jesus knows our insides. Jesus knows our intent. Which I think is why Jesus did not flip the table in that dorm room when I asked how her hair was, but instead just shook his head and was sadly disappointed. Jesus knows that we're trying. Jesus knows where we're coming from. And Jesus yet calls us to be better. Jesus looks at us when we're doing our work at home, in our volunteer positions, at the places we get paid to work, and says, you've created a space where I am welcome and where people can find me through you. And when we stop doing that, when we get caught up in the us of it, when we get caught up in how it makes us feel and how we feel safe and how all of those things are about us and what we need, we lose the point of why we gathered here. Because truth be told, we don't come to this place to feel better. In fact, I'm almost guaranteeing that most of you will leave here angry today. Some righteously angry and some mad that I brought it up but you'll probably all leave angry. And I'm okay with that today. Because sometimes it's not about us. It's not about what makes me feel good. It's not about what makes you feel good. It's not about knowing the comfort of the insider language that we use. Jesus shows us today very clearly that the point of this house, that the point of a place of worship is to be a place for all for all to feel welcome, and for all to find God. And sometimes, making that space means being a little uncomfortable. Sometimes, making that space means that we're going to get angry in the process. But you know what? This is not Jesus' last Passover. There'll be another one. A one that we will make a little more schmaltzy than this one. A one where we will celebrate and remember year after year. One where Jesus will wash his disciples' feet and tend to their needs prior to their grief and his death. But for now, 
We need to remind people that hate is not an option Jesus offers. And that it's okay to be upset that God needs our help and that God's work is not being done where we think it should be. Because that's exactly what Jesus does today in our gospel. Amen. Mm-hmm.